Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. After a banner regular season that saw a record 12 programs become bowl eligible, the Sun Belt will celebrate a bowl season like none other. It all kicks off on December 16th when Georgia Southern, Louisiana, and App State open bowl season. We can't wait to dive into it. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about Monday's episode. Caden and I shared our experience at the Sunbelt Championship game, dissected the pivotal moments of that contest, and talked about Kamani Vidal's legendary performance to take home the championship belt. If you haven't listened yet, make sure you go back and give it a listen. Today on episode 158 of the show, we're excited to begin talking about the upcoming bowl season. We'll be joined shortly by bowl season executive director Nick Carparelli to learn more about what goes into bowl tie-ins, how they choose the matchups, and much more. Plus, Kate and I will provide an early look at each team's bowl matchup. Kate, and with that said, it was a banner regular season. 12 Sunbelt programs will participate in bowl season the most of any FBS conference. You've played in five bowl games. You've been to six. You even won an MVP in one of them. What makes this experience so great as a student athlete? Great question, though, and I think a better question is what doesn't make it a great experience. I think, obviously, the travel that comes with going to a bowl game, your whole team gets to go, so the redshirt players and the younger players get to travel with the team for the first time and see how that experience is. I'll never forget kind of my welcome to college football moment, traveling with the team for the first time as a redshirt freshman and seeing how our team prepares and that preparing me for eventually playing. But you have so many fun activities to do. You can immerse yourself in the cultures of whatever city you're in. The game's obviously fun to prepare for with a different opponent that you haven't faced. And really, it's just a fun time as far as team bonding goes, just really beyond the bowl game. If you think about it, all these campuses are now cleared out. It's finals time. There's students now leaving. And the only people really on campus left are the athletes and are your teammates. So it's a really good time to just bond with each other. There's no more classes. So you can fully dedicate to kind of getting to know your teammates, getting to know your opponent, and really just having a good time and trying to end the season in a right way and having your family come to the bowl game and having their own fun experiences as well. So 10 out of 10 review, I hope, I wish everyone could experience what a bowl game is like because it's definitely a fun time and definitely happy for the, for the Sun Belt that we have now 12 teams that are able to get this experience that not every team in the country and not every program in the country gets to have on a yearly basis. Hey, and if you win, you get to add a bowl ring to the collection. Kate, I know you've got uh, quite the collection of your own. Well, like we promised, bowl season executive director Nick Carparelli will join us on this show. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to get to today's conversation. Well, we are really excited to have the executive director of bowl season, Nick Carparelli, on the Frary and Smith podcast. Nick, thanks for coming on in the midst of uh, this busy time of year. Thanks for having me on, Noah. It's the greatest time of year. Absolutely a fantastic time that I know many college football fans look forward to. But Nick, let's talk a little bit about your background. You're hired in December of 2019 into your current role as executive director of bowl season. You know, now having navigated multiple successful bowl seasons, what are your favorite aspects of this time of year? Oh, I, I love everything about it. You know, I, I think uh, first and foremost, it it's really college football's time of year, right? It's it's when the entire sports world turns their attention to college football and in bowl games. You know, I think every sport has their time of year on the calendar. NFL playoffs is in January. We know we're going to be watching college basketball in March with March Madness. I love baseball, but obviously in October with the playoffs and World Series, it's at a whole nother level. I think the same thing with college football. We're coming off a great regular season, and now we're looking to bowl season. 43 bowl games, really compelling matchups. Two teams, oftentimes, who wouldn't normally schedule each other in the regular season are matched up 
playing in a, in a location they wouldn't normally play and college football fans across the country are, are able to celebrate the sport. Appreciate having you on, Nick. Some of that got me a little fired up and more excited for bowl season as, as, as much as I was already excited. But you've worked in all areas of both college football and professional football. You've had stints, most notably with the Big East. As an administrator, you won a Super Bowl championship with the Patriots. You've guided efforts at Notre Dame and outfitted college sports teams at Under Armour. What elements of those jobs has helped prepare you for this unique role with bowl season? Yeah, it's a great question. Really, all of them. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, you know, you look back when you're when you're a kid and you're in high school and you're like, and you, you want, you're going to go to college and you're wondering what you should major in and what you want your life to be. You don't know. You know, I I uh, I was very fortunate. My my I was able to get my MBA at Syracuse. I was a graduate assistant for Paul Pasqualoni at Syracuse, and we we had some great years there. Went to the went to the Fiesta Bowl, and uh, from there I was I went to Notre Dame. I was recruiting coordinator, as you mentioned. I worked for Coach Belichick for a little bit. Phenomenal, uh, phenomenal guy to work for learn so much, have a Super Bowl ring. Uh, and, and it was kind of interesting. At Syracuse and Notre Dame, I went to bowl games as part of a team and, and a staff. Uh, after the Patriots, I, I was the associate commissioner of the Big East, ran football, and I negotiated all of the bowl agreements to send Big East teams to bowl games. So I got to you know be plugged into that world at a, at a different level and build relationships with all the bowl directors. Uh, then when I went to Under Armour, I was, I was doing ty- uh, sponsorship deals with bowl games. We were outfitting teams going to bowl games. So I was really... I've been around the bowl system in pretty much every which way you can. So when they interviewed me for this job four years ago, I, I like to say that I was I was probably one of a very few uh, amount of people who was qualified for the job. So I didn't have to beat out too many guys to get it. But I'm very fortunate I did. And uh, it's really, really a unique job. Uh, people that I talk to say, how do, how do you even get a job like that? You know, I, I don't know if I can tell you exactly, but uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. You know, four years ago, they they gave me the keys to what I think is one of the great traditions in American sports. And they said, Nick, you know, we've all been separate individual events and we still are, but we need somebody to pull us together to market us and promote us collectively. And that's what we've been doing for the last four years. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I think as college football fans, it's been neat to see the the growth of the marketing efforts around these bowl games. I know that that's important, obviously with the proliferation of social media Now, Nick, let's talk about this year's bowl season. The slate was announced on Sunday. It's going to feature 43 different matchups this year. What has you most excited for this bowl season? Well, it's, uh, you know, I alluded to this earlier. It's it's always the matchups, always the matchups. You see two teams playing each other that would never schedule each other. Sometimes it's, you know, in this age of conference realignment where I think a lot of great rivalries have gone by the wayside. Some, sometimes you see rivalries renewed. Sometimes you see geographic differences. Sometimes you see two teams that are afraid to schedule each other because it's a, it's a no win and one team doesn't want to lose to the other. So I think we're going to see a lot of that. And, you know, I know, I know we're going to talk Sunbelt here. For, for the Sunbelt to have 12 teams in bowl season uh, is pretty amazing. You know, they're kicking off on, you know, first day of bowl season, September 16th. They have three games. Then that following weekend, six Bowl games uh, containing uh, or including Sunbelt teams is going to be a lot of a lot of fun for Sunbelt fans to watch that day, Saturday, December twenty third. Yeah, you mentioned it, Nick. That's definitely what me and Noah are most excited about. Biasly with this podcast, as a record twelve teams from the Sunbelt being in bowl season this year. The conference has seen a steady rise in recent years before taking a really big jump this year. What's impressed you most about the growth of the Sunbelt Conference? Would you would say in football? Well, I think Commissioner Gill and his staff and obviously the leadership of the presidents and the ADs on down did an unbelievable job through conference realignment. Uh, I've experienced firsthand back in my Big East days how stressful conference realignment can be for 
everyone involved. It's a lot of mistrust. Everybody has the doomsday scenario in their mind. And, you know, I think some uh, for some conferences obviously didn't work out very well. Some conferences got better. And I think that's the case with the Sun Belt. They, they expanded in numbers, expanded in quality. Uh, and I think it's showing through with the with 12 teams going to bowl games this year. Yeah, certainly exciting to see the growth of the league. I look back in 2021, there was four bowl teams last year. You get to seven and then 12 this year. But there are various factors that go into selecting these bowl matchups. There's conference tie-ins. There's TV tie-ins. The geography of the respective bowl games comes into play. And, you know, even picking the matchups, what factors, Nick, uh, would you say are the most important and the impactful to those final bowl matchups that we saw released on Sunday? Yeah, it's a great question. It's not an exact science. Uh, people ask me that all the time. You know, how do, how do you decide what what teams go to what bowl games and ask them how, how much time they have to, to hear the <laughs> explanation? But, you know, there's a lot of factors. Obviously, um, you know, conferences enter into agreements with with a, a lineup of bowl games, right? There's a, there's a pecking order uh, of selection or placement uh, by contract. But at the same time, at the end of the year, the conferences, the bowl and the bowls get together and they say, OK, what what makes sense? Right. They want to put together the most compelling matchup uh, possible so it can be a, a great game to watch. You're always going to avoid regular season rematches if you can. You're going to try. You're going to avoid a team going to the same bowl game two years in a row for sure. But, you know, multiple years in a short time frame. Uh, geography uh, is a factor. Right. Um both in terms of a, a great, exciting, fun destination, if it's a if it's a long distance travel, but then you know if there's a team that maybe maybe underachieved in the regular season, or, or maybe they're six and six, and maybe their fan base isn't going to pile on and travel a long distance, then maybe maybe you want to put them in a bowl that's geographically a little closer to campus. So you put all those things in a bag and you shake it up and and you do the best you can, and and it always come it always works out. You know, initially there's some teams and maybe some bowls that maybe don't love their matchup, but uh, the games always prove to be uh, great in the end. And a lot of people watch them. You know, the, you, you know this, the television ratings for bowl games are almost illogical. You take the same matchup in the regular season and you put it in December and you call it a bowl game two to three times that people watch it. And I think that's the the power of bowl season. Nick, as a former player in the Sunbelt and Sunbelt fans, we're used to seeing names like the New Orleans Bowl and the Camellia Bowl and others. But this year there's teams that are going to be participating in the Hawaii Bowl and the Frisco Bowl and the First Responders Bowl and the famous toastery bowl, just new bowls with 12 teams being eligible. Could you maybe talk about how big of an opportunity that presents for Sunbelt schools and how rare that is? Yeah, for sure. You know, you're, um, like I mentioned earlier, every conference has agreements with bowl games. So you kind of know where you're going to go uh, when you, when you have more bowl eligible teams than anticipated, usually it means that another conference underperforms, So they have less teams. So you get to slide into one of their bowl slots and it provides opportunities to go to destinations and play teams from conferences that maybe wouldn't have had an opportunity before. So if you look at the, the the lineup in terms of destinations, I mean, they're all great, but the notion that a student athlete is going to be able to go for, for three or four days with his friends to experience uh, a community like, like Myrtle beach, South Carolina, like new Orleans, like Orlando, um, you know, uh, Dallas, Hawaii, you know, how much fun is that? You know, you, you tell me, Caden, as a former student athlete, how, how cool are those experiences and to do them with all your with 100 of your closest friends for, for four days? No, it's amazing. And it's unforgettable for sure. We've been to our fair share of New Orleans Bowls and Camellia Bowls and stuff like that. But when you get an exciting new one, there's nothing like it. I'm super excited, biasly, for the App State community being able to go to the Cureborn Orlando. But I know every fan base definitely has something to look forward to as far as being able to touch different parts of the country and watch their teams play and those players being able to play. 
So much so, so much. And let me just add, like, even even some destinations that people, you know, the average fan, uh, uh, someone who's going on vacation as a tourist might not think, you know, Montgomery, Alabama is just an amazing experience for these student athletes. The educational component of these bowl games, you know, the history of the United States in a lot of ways runs through Montgomery, Alabama, and the experiences that the student athletes uh, uh, have by going to that bowl game um, and what they learn is, is really a, a memory uh, that they will cherish and, and carry around with them their entire lives. Yeah, I know Caden and I were just at the Sunbelt Championship over the weekend. We drove through Montgomery, and he mentioned having been having been in that bowl, just that history component and, and learning more about it. I also know Caden's a little bit jealous that Coastal Carolina is getting to go to Hawaii this year. He wishes that he had gotten to do that during his uh, days. But, Nick, uh, one of the questions we are asked the most is how can the Sun Belt get better bowl tie-ins? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the current tie-in started in 2020. They're going to go through 2025. Can you shed some light on how bowl partners are selected and what it would take for the Sun Belt to add more high-profile tie-ins in the future? Yeah, you know, I, I think all, all bowl opportunities are great. You know, I don't know uh, which ones are better than another. Uh, obviously, that might be in the eye of the beholder. They all have great value. Uh, I do think in general, because of conference realignment, you're going to see a little bit of uh, juggling of the opportunities, right? You're seeing conferences that have gotten a lot bigger, which means they need more bowl opportunities. You're seeing some conferences whose geography is changing drastically, right? So they're going to need some opportunities in in some destinations in parts of the country that they might not have uh, ever been able to go to before. So I think you're going to see some new bowls. Uh, uh, connected to some new conferences and, and obviously as a result that'll create some new opportunities for the student athletes. Now do you see with how rapidly college football is changed do you see those bowl tie-ins maybe being looked at sooner than had initially been planned? I, I really don't think so I think it'd be really hard to do there's so many moving components in and no no one situation no one contract or partnership is is done in isolation uh, a change in one is going to cause a ripple effect and a change in many others that maybe none of the parties involved want to have changed. Um, you're even seeing that at the CFP level, even though it's expanding from four to 12 teams, they're really kind of operating under the existing contracts for, for next year and the following year. Uh, but once we get to the 2026 20, season, I think that's right. Um, we will have a whole new, whole new set of agreements and opportunities for everyone. You mentioned it, Nick, and we were curious. There's obviously a lot of changes that are going to be happening in the future with college football, and the 12-team playoff is going to be one of those. So you're saying, what effect do you think that's going to have on bowl season as a whole? You're saying that's something we can anticipate happening more so down the line versus immediately when the 12-team playoff happens as far as that impact on bowl season? Yeah, you know, the the playoff has been around for 10 years now, uh, the 14 playoff. We're going to 12. I think the impact of the playoff is already – taking place on the bowl system. I think the move from four to 12 is going to have a, a very minimal impact. You know, we, we, we have uh, four teams in the playoff this year, but there's the new year six. So that, that takes 12 teams um, next year. Those same 12 teams or, or a, a similar group of 12 is going to be, now those are going to be playoff teams, right? So I think the rest of the bowl lineup really is, is not going to be too affected. And it's still, still going to be really, really important, really meaningful to college football. You know, I talk to commissioners on a regular basis. That's part of my job, uh, taking their pulse, uh, making sure that bowl season's delivering uh, to their institutions in a way that, that they feel is appropriate. And uh, from the SEC and Big Ten commissioner all the way, all the way through all 10 of them, they couldn't be more adamant about how important bowl season is for the majority of their membership, 
the the most college football programs aren't going to aspire to be in a in in a four or even a twelve team playoff on a regular basis. So what do they have to play for? What is their reward at the end of the successful season? Um, and bowl season provides those opportunities to um, schools across the country, regardless of where you are in your development. Some programs, a lot in the Sun Belt, are brand new Division One programs, right? So they're they're emerging, they're growing. Other programs, some maybe some of the even the most tradition rich programs in the country, University of Nebraska is a good example. They haven't been to a bowl game in six years. I talked to Coach Rule before the season; he was dying to get to six wins this year just to get to a bowl game. Right. And they didn't get it. So next year it's going to be a big celebration what they do. And that'll be a stepping stone. But you need that. You can't go from uh, a program that's that's maybe struggling a little bit or is, is new all the way into the into the uh, CFP. It doesn't work that way. Nick, this might be, you know, a similar answer to this next question, but we've seen a steady proliferation of bowl games in recent years. This year, 65 percent of FBS programs are going to participate. Some have called into question the quantity of bowls, the number of teams that participate. What would you say to those people? I would say, well, for in general, I would say there's 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 never too many bowl games. Like who, whoever who doesn't want to watch another bowl game? You know, you watch, you look at the TV ratings, and and they're off the charts. So people obviously watch them, uh, and they're intriguing to them. If you talk to the teams, especially the group of six and six teams, the notion that oh my god, maybe I'm going to be left out. What if there's not enough slots for the number of bowl eligible teams? You would have thought that was the worst thing that could happen to them. Uh, they're 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 dying to get in. And, and if you think about the leadership of college athletics in general, even though college football's postseason operates outside of the NCAA, it's the same, same leadership. It's commissioners, it's, it's, it's athletic directors that, that govern it. You know, in the NCAA Transformation Committee, uh, that, that Commissioner Sankey was on, Commissioner Navarro's from the Mountain West, one of their big recommendations is that there be more postseason opportunities for all sports, right? So, that being the case, why wouldn't we want more postseason opportunities for for football student athletes, especially? And Caden, you can relate to this. You 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 might have been envious looking at some of the other sports on your campus when you played. Basketball gets to go to these preseason events in the Bahamas, in Hawaii, uh, in, in in Florida, all these cool destinations. Uh, other sports get to go on foreign tours in the summer, right? And scrimmage uh, international teams and and get to experience that football teams don't get to do any of that bowl games is that experience for student athletes. And it's really, really important. So the, the more student athletes and the more teams that can experience it, I think is, is better. No, you nailed it on the head, Nick. Those are memories that the football players always cherish their experience. They always cherish. And I think every football student athlete that's been to a bowl game could definitely tell you all the details of, of those travel experiences, those little and big things that happen. So last question for you, Nick. I know Noah and I personally, like many others, like to kick our feet up, relax, watch as many of these bowl games as possible with as many screens up as possible. We're just curious, what does bowl season look like for Nick Caparelli? Do you attend any of these games? Do you watch a bunch of them? Are you a little worn out from them after working when they're all set up? What does it look like for you? A little bit of all those things. You know, I love watching them. I watch as many as I can, and I go to as many as I can. Right now, I have penciled in a tentative uh, route that's going to take me to 11 bowl games. So that's uh, that's pretty aggressive. Uh, it's a little less than one a day. Um, I have this vision, though, that I'm going to get a, a, some kind of a partnership with a media entity that wants to film a documentary, and I could have a private plane, and, and I, I could – Technically, I could pull it off where I'm, I'm in attendance for some portion of all 43 bowl games. I might have to be at the kickoff at one and the trophy ceremony of another, but I think it'd be a pretty cool story really kind of paint the picture, give a little flavor of all the different bowl game environments across the country. 
Hey, certainly sounds like a, a potential dream come true if that documentary were to come uh, to fruition. But Nick, we've really enjoyed speaking to you and learning a little bit more about bowl season. We certainly wish you and your team best of luck as you guys navigate these next couple weeks that we all know are extremely busy. Thank you, Noah, for having me on. Great talking to you. Great talking to you as well, Caden. Hey, everyone, we're interrupting today's show to tell you about our recently released Prairie and Smith podcast newsletter. Subscribers will receive weekly emails when new episodes release, as well as information about the top Sunbelt football storylines that week. You can subscribe today using the link in the show notes of this episode or by clicking the link in our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter bios. It's the best way to keep up with the Sunbelt football and the Prairie and Smith podcast. Now let's get back to the rest of today's episode. Caden, I don't know about you, but really enjoyed that conversation with Nick Carparelli. I felt like I learned a thing or two about bowl season, and I think he answered some of the questions that we consistently hear from Sunbelt fans in that interview. Yeah, and as we talked about before, I'm someone who's played in a bunch of bowl games, but the fact that I was able to learn something from Nick was awesome. He definitely gave good insight as far as the ins and outs of how these bowls are determined, and I think now you and me and maybe our listeners will feel like people that next bowl season when it comes around, we can maybe predict these matchups and see what happens just given some of the knowledge he gave us. So definitely excited to see where the Sun Belt keeps going in relation to bowls, and I think this bowl season is just maybe the start for the kind of a change in the turns of tide as far as this conference continuing to establish itself as, as the best group of five conference and what a better opportunity than in 12 bowl games. I really love the answer that he gave me to that question about, are there too many bowl games, Caden? That was a perspective in terms of talking about some of those trips that maybe other sports get to take that I had never heard before and consider me now a fan of even more bowl games if we can. I'm not going to lie. Nick hit it right on the head. When you hear about these basketball teams that I remember in App State years past having these teams be able to participate in these different invitationals and have these different experiences as far as traveling and playing, just not something you get in football really ever. I mean, even if you look at the the high school ranks and the and the youth ranks of, of travel sports, football's never been one of those sports. I've never really been a travel sports guy. So having the opportunity in these bowl games to give some of these student athletes maybe an opportunity they've never had in their entire career as an athlete is cool. And that's something I think I know I'll always push for. There'd never be too many bowl games, never too much football to watch, and never too much football to play, especially on a neutral site with some different excitement and different energy surrounding these games. Well, Caden, we've got plenty of bowl games to talk about. We're going to provide an early preview of each of the bowl games that Sunbelt teams will participate in. We've got 12 to talk through. I know you spent some time looking at some of the opponents of these Sunbelt teams. Uh, let's jump right in. We'll talk about the Myrtle Beach Bowl first. It features Georgia Southern, who comes in 6-6, six and six, versus Ohio, who is 9-3. They hail from the Mid-American Conference, better known as the MAC. Uh, this game will be played in Brooks Stadium in Conway, South Carolina, the home of the Coastal Carolina Shanta Clears on December 16th at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central on ESPN. Caden, you and I broke these up a little bit. Just we're each going to take something that we're excited about in the matchup. I'll go first here. This is Georgia Southern's first appearance in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. It's a great test, in my opinion, for a red-hot Ohio team that's won four of their last five games I'm excited to see how Georgia Southern's high-powered offense plays against this stingy Ohio defense that is one of the best in the nation, particularly against the pass. Caden, I'm excited to see how Sunbelt leading passer Davis Brin fares in this game. 
Yeah, and a similar token, Noah, I think this Ohio defense compared to all of the others from all the other opponents that these Sunbelt teams will face is the most menacing by far. You mentioned it. They're fifth in the nation in points allowed right now, giving up just 15.4 points a game. And they're fourth in the nation in yards allowed, giving just 264 yards. Under 300 yards is high elite, elite level defense, and they're going to see it in this one. And I think when you look at their team as a whole, they have two all defensive players when it comes to conference at the inside linebacking spots in Houston and Thompson. Those are two studs in the middle of their defense that have just infectious play when you watch them play all the guys around them kind of embody that identity too and it does worry me a little bit because we saw what defenses like James Madison and Wisconsin were able to do to Georgia Southern this year and even defenses like Old Dominion and App State towards the end of the season so I think this Ohio defense is cut from a very similar cloth from those teams so I'm very curious to see how Georgia State goes up against probably one of the better more high-end defenses we'll see out of the entire bowl season across probably the entire country. Everybody loves a good offense versus defense matchup. Moving on to the RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, it features six and six Louisiana taking on Jacksonville State, who's eight and four out of Conference USA. They got into bowl season in a similar manner that James Madison did. Not enough teams to fill out the 43 bowls this season. Louisiana will be appearing in their sixth consecutive bowl season dating to 2018, Caden. They consistently live in bowl season. Found this interesting. This will actually be their seventh New Orleans Bowl appearance. They appeared in five of six New Orleans Bowls from 2011 to 2016. This is their first since 2021. And Caden, I'm excited to see Chandler Fields in this game and how he does against Jacksonville State. He got an opportunity in the bowl game last year, didn't play great, but Kane, when you look at his play since taking over for Zion Chris, he's got eight total touchdowns in his last three games. He's thrown for seven, just one INT through the air. I'm excited to see how Chandler Fields fares against Jacksonville State. It's definitely been great to watch Chandler kind of grow week after week since assuming the role as a starter. But I think for this entire UL team, they're going to have their hands full on both sides of the ball. I think this is a very balanced Jacksonville State team that has impact players on both sides of the ball. Their best player is probably an offensive guard who's a stud transfer from UGA. They have a great tight end. They have a great running back. But knowing this UL team, we know they're going to try to have their way up front in the run game. And I think that's going to be the biggest matchup in the trenches. This run defense of UL versus the run, the run offense of UL rather versus the run defense of Jacksonville State. This is a team that only holds opponents to 113 yards per game on the ground. So I would imagine that Kadobe, Washington, Perry, we even saw Fields get a little involved with his legs in the last game. We saw him get involved in the run game. So it's going to take all of them. I think it's going to take a village to get by this J-State defense rushing the ball. And I'm really excited to watch that much matchup in the trenches and with the skill players that are going to have to go toe-to-toe in the run battle in this matchup. Hey, it's fair to say Louisiana struggled a little bit down the stretch. Once Zeon Chris went down to run the football, did perform well in that last game. So certainly something to keep an eye on. Well, Caden, our next bowl game, you don't hear me sing on the podcast too often, but we're going to talk about the avocados from Mexico cure bowl app state eight and five taking on Miami of Ohio, who are the Mac champs this year after dethroning Toledo in that Mac championship game, this game taking place at FBC mortgage stadium in Orlando on December 16th, 3 30 PM Eastern two thirty PM central. On ABC, a, a golden opportunity for this App State program to have more national attention. App State, Canaan, I'm just excited that they are making their return to bowl season, as many Mountaineers fans certainly are as well. This will be you know, a return after missing that bowl game 
last year. Okay, now I'm also excited to see App State in a new bowl game. They've been to the Camellia Bowl twice. They've been to the New Orleans Bowl twice. The Dollar General, the Myrtle Beach, the Boca Raton Bowl. Also can't wait to see Joey Aguilar one last time this season. He recently announced that he's coming back to App State. That was a huge piece. Uh, the collective, that 3-3-3-3 collective at App State, really working hard to keep him as a Mountaineer. But Kane, the Sunbelt Conference Newcomer of the Year, has accounted for 42 touchdowns this year, has an outside shot at 4,000 yards of total offense. And like I said, he's coming back for another year. Can't wait to see Joey Aguilar in this game. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this game for App State playing Miami of Ohio until I looked up some stuff about Miami, Ohio. This team is the real deal. They're playing like they still have big Ben Roethlisberger on their team. They dropped their final game or their first game of the season against Miami, and then they kind of split games against Toledo in the conference championship in the regular season. So to me, in football math and boy math, this is really a one-loss team. Their defense is what stands out the most. They have a great front seven that's loaded with first and second team talent in their defensive line and their linebackers. They're holding teams to just 16 points a game. They held Toledo to just 14 points in their conference championship game. They blocked two field goals in that game. And I feel like they have a lot of similar traits to the Troy defense that App State just faced, which is a little bit scary if you're a Mountaineers fan. They have 34 sacks this year. They can generate pressure. And it's sneaky, a good kicking matchup as well. We're familiar with Michael Hughes and App State. But this kicker, Graham Nicholson, has a leg on him as well. He's the special teams player of the year in the MAC conference. So if it's a close game, it might come down to these kickers as well. But these are both really good teams that are going to be standing toe-to-toe. And I think this Miami of Ohio team has a lot of championship DNA, similar to what we saw in App State this season at the end of things. Well, we can certainly tell who did more prep than the other so far in this episode. Great nugget there about the kicking game. Also, both of these teams have beat ranked teams this year. App State took down JMU. Miami of Ohio taking down Toledo in that MAC championship game. Moving on to the famous Toastery Bowl between Old Dominion, who's six and six. They will take on Western Kentucky, who was seven and five in Conference USA. This game normally called the Bahamas Bowl, but some stadium renovations taking down in the Bahamas. So moved to Charlotte this year. Uh, Jerry Richardson Stadium, the home of the Charlotte 49ers, will host this game on December 18th. At 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 p.m. Central on ESPN. First bowl appearance for Old Dominion since 2021. Caden, a couple of old friends matching up here. They played each other every year from 2014 to 2021 when they were members of Conference USA. And I'm excited to see these two high-powered offenses. What's Grant Wilson and Austin Reed going to have in store? Do the run game show up for both of these sides? I think that there is a real chance here to see a lot of offense in this game and, and, and count me in for that. No, I'm looking for Old Dominion to break the curse in this game. I'm begging, actually, on my hands and knees for Old Dominion to break the curse because this Western Kentucky offense has been dominating Sunbelt teams for two straight bowl games now, starting with Bailey Zappi shredding me and the App State defense with 59 points against us in our bowl game and Boca Raton, followed by a 44-point performance against South Alabama in the New Orleans Bowl last season. So Old Dominion, break this curse. We know this offense is going to throw the ball everywhere. I've seen it on film. I've watched this team on film. You watch Austin Reed, whoever's at quarter back throwing the ball all over the yard and you're like there's no way that they're going to do that to us and they do it to you and they've been at the Sunbelt teams the past two years we know Austin Reed's going to be throwing it everywhere Malachi Corley is one of the best receivers in college football if you're Old Dominion watch the Troy film watch the Ohio State film and watch the Jacksonville State film because those are three teams that had a lot of good success against this offense and slowing them down and Old Dominion I've seen you play this year you stand toe-to-toe with everyone you play well I believe in you please break this curse and don't make it a third straight year where Western Kentucky's terrorizing the Sunbelt in a bowl game. 
Well, someone's a little salty they didn't get their sixth bowl ring during their college career. Moving on to the Scooters Coffee Frisco Bowl game. I don't know how they come up with names for these bowl <laughs> games, but I love it. Marshall, 6-6, six and six, taking on UTSA, who was 8-4 and four in the American Athletic Conference this season. This game played in Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas on December 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central on ESPN. First appearance ever for a Sunbelt school in the Frisco Bowl. Marshall is appearing in their seventh consecutive bowl game. They're three and three in their previous six, but just one and three in their last four dating to 2019. They did, however, win the Myrtle Beach Bowl last year, 28 to 14 over UConn. I'm excited for this game, Caden, to see how Cam Fancher plays. He didn't have the season we and many people were expecting, but the last time out on November 25th, he was responsible for five touchdowns in 314 yards. I think he's the guy that should be the starter next year. I want to see Cam Fancher prove it in this game. Yeah, someone who had a lot of faith and a lot of belief in Cam Fancher heading into the year. It'd be great to watch him finish things off strong in a bowl game. But I think when it comes to this Marshall team, they really only need to stop two people in this game that should be highlighted. I think for the defense, they have to slow down Josh Cephas. Their quarterback, Frank Harris, an experienced guy. He's one of those guys that has six, seven, eight years of eligibility. He's seen it all. There's not anything that this Marshall defense is going to be able to show him that he hasn't seen before, but they have to make it hard on Cephas, who's six foot three. He's caught over 80 passes in back-to-back seasons. He has over a thousand yards already in this season, and he's one of the best wideouts in the nation. And for the offense, they have to stop the conference defensive player of the year, Trey Moore, who has 16 sacks this year, only behind Jalen Green and Javon Solomon, little flex for the Sun Belt in the entire country. And we saw what Jalen Green was able to do when he was wreaking havoc against this Marshall team. And Trey Moore can do the very same thing as far as his capabilities and applying pressure. So they're definitely going to have to stop that guy. Those two guys, I think, are going to be big major keys for this Marshall team who down the stretch had issues on both sides of the ball. If they can pinpoint those two, I think they'll see a lot more success. Marshall looking to make it back-to-back years with a Sun Belt win over UTSA after Troy beat the Roadrunners in the Cure Bowl a season ago. Moving on to the 76 Birmingham Bowl, this will feature the Sun Belt champion Troy Trojans coming in at 11-2 versus... The Duke Blue Devils, who are 7-5 and five out of the ACC, it'll take place at Protective Stadium in Birmingham, Alabama on December 23rd, one of six games on December 23rd that we will get to in the remaining moments. This game at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on ABC. And Caden, here's what I'm excited about. This is the Sun Belt's first ever matchup against a Power 5 opponent in a bowl game. I'm excited because I really think Troy who comes in favor to this game, has a legitimate chance to win. Duke's going to be without their head coach, Mike Elko, who's now the head coach at Texas A&M. I haven't heard word on if starting quarterback Riley Leonard is playing. He entered the transfer portal earlier this week. First ever appearance in the Birmingham Bowl for Troy Caden. It's just a short two-hour drive. I think we're going to see a great turnout. I think Trojans Nation is going to show up in droves in Birmingham. You looked at my notes, Noah, because all I have written here is no Elko, no Leonard, no problem. I mean, what's more important to a football team than your star quarterback and your head coach? Riley Leonard's in the transfer portal. We don't know if he's going to play in this game. I would imagine he wouldn't. And Mike Elko's already in College Station trying to get things right over there. And you think about this Troy team, they have the opposite problem. They have a head coach who we know is an elite, elite head coach when it comes to college football this season. They have a quarterback who's done a complete 180 as far as improvement this year. And we didn't hear much from this Duke team after their upset win against Clemson to start off the year in their four straight wins. 
to start off the season because they didn't really do anything. Riley Leonard got hurt. They lost to every single rake team they played, and they only got wins over NC State, Wake Forest, and Pitt. No one's throwing a parade about that. We saw Old Dominion and Marshall go toe-to-toe with two of those teams this year and almost beat them. Duke's defense is elite. It's going to be the best unit Troy has faced, I think, since James Madison. But I think in this game, if Troy is just themselves, they'll be just fine. They're going to stand toe-to-toe. They're going to play tough. I expect a low-scoring defensive battle, but I think Troy is built for this moment. They're playing a basketball school, and I'm excited for them to hopefully get the first win ever for a Sunbelt school against a Power 5 opponent in a bowl game. Moving on to the Camellia Bowl, Arkansas State checks in at 6-6 six and six versus Northern Illinois, who was also 6-6 six and six out of the MAC this season. This one played in the famous Crampton Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama on December 23rd, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on ESPN. First bowl appearance for Arkansas State since 2019. It'll be their third appearance in the Camellia Bowl in program history. It actually breaks a tie with App State, Georgia Southern, and Buffalo for the most Camellia Bowl appearances in history. I'm excited to see Jalen Rayner get a shot to shine on the national stage. The Sunbelt Conference Freshman of the Year accounted for over 2,600 yards and 20 touchdowns as a true freshman this season. I'm excited, Caden, to see what he has to you know, tied us over into next year with a performance in the Camellia Bowl. I'm definitely excited to know we've applauded this Arkansas State team for their amazing turnaround this year and the amazing season their freshman quarterbacks had. But all season long, they have not been able to find a way to stop the run. They're the Sun Belt's worst run defense this year with 183 yards on the ground per game. And if you look at all their losses, you can definitely point to their run game being an issue. And they're going to have a very tall task and this one when they face running back Antario Brown. He's a first-team all-conference guy. He has over 1,000 yards this season, 10 touchdowns. He's 5'10", 220, which is never fun to tackle. Trust me, I've tried to do it before with those body types. But I think for Arkansas State, the negotiations for winning this bowl game start and end with stopping the run and more specifically stopping this bad man that's going to be back there getting the ball for them. Moving on to the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Yes, JMU fans, we can finally talk about the Dukes being in a bowl game James Madison coming in 11 and 1. They will face an Air Force team that was 8 and 4 in the Mountain West Conference this year. G. Carter Stadium, the home of TCU in Fort Worth, Texas, will host this game at 3:30 p.m. Eastern, 2:30 p.m. Central on ESPN on December 23rd. Here's what's got me excited. This is the first FBS bowl game in program history for James Madison, their second year of transitioning from the FCS. Caden, it's simple. I'm just excited to see James Madison bowling after the year that they've had. These two teams were amongst the final undefeated teams at the group of five level. Both were ranked throughout the season. And getting to watch this JMU team against a historically good rushing attack, Caden, should be a lot of fun. Yeah, obviously big picture from a history standpoint. This is a huge game for James Madison making their bowl debut. But the be- the even better news for JMU's fans is their game plan is going to be very simple for getting a win in this one, and it's stopping the run. Everyone in the stadium is going to know the Air Force is going to run the ball using that triple option attack that gets them 275 yards on the ground a game. And the good news is they have a long time to practice for this scheme. Prepping for option teams are a lot more mental than physical. Trust me, I've played Georgia Southern when they ran a triple option a lot of times. And they had before they started running this air raid attack. And the best news for James Madison, maybe on top of that, is that they're absolutely built to do this. They're the nation's best run stopping team. And they're about to prep for the nation's second best run 
run offense in the entire nation. So the bad news is, I think, is that there's a lot of guys in this front seven that are in the transfer portal right now. Very curious to see which ones play and don't play for James Madison and who steps up in the most crucial part of this entire matchup, which is going to be James Madison's excellent run stopping defense versus this rushing attack of Air Force. Plus, we'll have an interim head coach for James Madison after Kurt Signetti left for Indiana. Sorry, Dukes fans. I just had to mention that. Moving on to the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. I think this is my favorite bowl name uh, that the Sun Belt will play in. Georgia State checking in at 6-6. Six and six. They will face Utah State, who's 6-6 six and six out of the Mountain West Conference. Albertson Stadium, the host of this game. It's the home of Boise State in Boise, Idaho. They will be playing on the blue turf. 3.30 p.m. Eastern, 2.30 p.m. Central on ESPN on December 23rd. Caden, it symbolizes a return to bowl season for Georgia State. They missed bowl eligibility in 2022. They have played in bowl season in four of the last six seasons. It'll be the final game of Darren Granger's career, and that has me excited. He'll cap off a career that's seen him rush for 1,948 yards, has a chance to go over 2,000 in this game. He's passed for north of 6,000 yards. He's responsible for 67 career touchdowns entering play in this game. It'll be the conclusion, Caden, to what has truly been one of the legendary quarterback careers in Georgia State history. Yeah, and I think in this matchup when it comes to Georgia State getting a big win for Darren Granger and these seniors and sending them off the right way, it's all going to come down to stopping the wide receiver duo that they have. This Utah State team hasn't been super consistent all year, but one thing that has been consistent for them is their dynamic duo at the wide receiving position. I mean, you can, you can ask James Madison. I mean, this du this duo of guys had combined 17 catches, 181 yards, and two scores against the Dukes. You look at Jalen Royals, he's a big-time guy, big athlete with over 1,000 yards this season and 14 touchdown catches, 68 receptions. And then Terrell Vaughn's the smaller, shiftier slot guy who gets a lot more volume of receptions. He leads the team in receptions with 81 of those, 800 yards on the season and 10 touchdowns. So Bryce Brown in that secondary, Gavin Pringle, all those guys are definitely going to have a tall task in this one. It's going to be all about stopping those two wideouts if they want to get Darren Granger a win in his last game in a Georgia State uniform. Caden, over under at one, cell phone shown to reps in this game. How are you leaning? <laughs> I'm going to hammer the over on that. No, I'm feeling ambitious about it. Hey, maybe we get uh, at least one, maybe two in this game. Moving on to the 68 Ventures Bowl. South Alabama 6-6 six and six versus Eastern Michigan, who's 6-6 six and six out of the MAC. This game played at Hancock-Whitney Stadium in Mobile, Alabama, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on ESPN. Kane, an interesting matchup here. South Alabama, the only bowl team this season that will play at their home stadium. It's a chance for South Alabama to get a little bit of redemption against the team from Michigan. You remember how their matchup with Central Michigan went back in week four. They will now face Eastern Michigan. This will be just the third matchup ever against the team from Michigan in program history. They're one and one in the previous two. Yeah, I got to be honest, Noah, this is not going to be my most fun analysis because it's just going to be regurg me regurgitating a lot of things I've said about South Alabama this entire season. They're more talented than this Eastern Michigan team, just straight up. This team is 6-6. Six and six. That kind of describes them perfectly. Their defense isn't very scheduled. Their offense is kind of mid. It's been quite bad sometimes, and they don't have a ton of standout players. Their linebacking duo, Joe Sparacio, has 134 tackles this season. Chase Klein has 125. Excellent linebacking duo. Those guys are nice. 
South Alabama is definitely going to have to be keyed in on those guys and stay away from them. But outside of those players, I like South Alabama in a lot of different spots in this matchup, and it's going to come down to can they play consistent and can they play their best football. They'll be just fine if they do that. We know that's been an issue for them all season, but it's more about South Alabama in this matchup, I think, than Eastern Michigan, especially with them having some sort of home field advantage in this game. So really excited to watch the South Alabama team hopefully try to get off and end their season on the right foot, despite it not exactly going the way they planned this season. Hey, to steal your phrase, it it all comes down from the neck up in this game for South Alabama. This is a game that they should win. Can they take care of business and end on a bright spot? I think that would be key for the Jags heading into 2024. Next up, easy post Hawaii Bowl between Coastal Carolina, who's 7-5, versus San Jose State, who's 7-5 out of the Mountain Western Conference. This one at Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Conference in Honolulu, Hawaii. 10.30 p.m. Eastern and 9.30 p.m. Central on ESPN. And Caden, basically, I'm excited about this one because this is the first Sunbelt team playing in a bowl game in the state of Hawaii. And honestly, I wish I was going to this game. Quick fun nugget. This is the only, there's only one current league member, Southern Miss, who has participated in a Hawaii Bowl. They actually won it 24 to 17 back in 2011 over Nevada. This was the year after Colin Kaepernick left the Nevada program. Grayson McCall expected to suit up and play one final game in a Coastal Carolina uniform. And Caden, based on his Instagram activity, he's going to have a fresh new haircut. I've seen that he shaved the locks off. First of all, aloha to any of our listeners in Hawaii. And no, I have a confession to make for this one. I actually love the San Jose State offense. I saw them play in week zero against USC. I watched them a couple other times this year, and I I love this offense. I love watching them play. Their quarterback, Javan Cordero, is a stud. He was a first-team all-conference guy. He's extremely mobile. He can make all the passes on the run and in the pocket. He's an absolute dude, and the only thing that makes a dude even scarier is another dude behind him to hand the ball off to, and that's his running back, Kyrie Robinson, who has over a 1,000 yards this season and a casual 18 rushing touchdowns. So they're going to have to stop this offensive unit for sure for Coastal if they want to leave Hawaii with a win. Their wide receiver ones are rock solid. The tight end has an impact for them. So the Coastal Carolina defense is definitely going to have to stop this amazing offense that I am willing to admit I am a little bit of a fan of heading into this matchup. Well, Keith Gill, if you're listening, consider Caden and I big fans of a future bowl tie-in with the Hawaii Bowl. Both of us would love to go cover that for the league. The Surf Pro First Responder Bowl, the last bowl matchup that we will talk about, it takes place the day after Christmas between Texas State, who's 7-5, and five, and Rice, who's 6-6 six and six, out of the American. Gerald R. Ford Stadium, the home of SMU in Dallas, Texas, the host, 530 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Central on ESPN. Caden, first ever bowl appearance for Texas State in their program history. The program has been bowl eligible twice before. Most notably, they were passed over as a 7-5 and team in 2014. Not this year. One of just two bowl matchups against members of the American Athletic Conference this season. And Caden, I'm expecting to see some fireworks with both teams' offenses combining to score over 66 points per game during the regular season. Yeah, definitely excited to watch Texas State hopefully end the season off with that offensive excellence we've become accustomed to seeing. And I think on the other side of the ball for them defensively, they really just have to slow down Luke McCaffrey. He's the star wide receiver for this team. He's their only guy that made all conference for this entire squad. And he had 68 receptions this year, 963 yards and 12 touchdowns. He seems to find the end zone every game. So I don't think this Texas State team should really predicate themselves on stopping him from scoring, but they should 
try their best to make things very hard for this guy and make it to where the offense doesn't run through him. When this team struggles on offense, they like to throw the ball to this guy just as much as you would hand it to a running back. His last game he played and he had 12 receptions for 141 yards and a win over FAU. This team straight up can't run the ball. They only have 112 yards on the ground per game this season. So if I'm this defense, I have all of my focus on Luke McCaffrey. Don't let that guy beat you. Let somebody else beat you. And hopefully your offense can do what they normally do and put up a bunch of points in a hurry. A banner year for the Sun Belt. It will culminate with 12 Sun Belt teams playing in bowl games. Plenty more coverage to come, but that will do it for our early bowl season preview. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to the bowl season's Nick Carparelli for helping make this interview happen. Kane and I are looking forward to the start of bowl season in just 10 days. Before you go, here's a quick reminder. We're going to be back on Friday. We'll be releasing our Sunbelt season recap, and we've got a few surprises up our sleeve for that episode. You're going to want to give it a listen. That'll do it for us here at the Ferry and Smith Podcast. Do us a favor. Before you go, leave us a five-star review on the way out, and then make sure to continue telling your friends about the show. So for Kanan Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.